I want to uh, introduce you to a church. This church is called the Church at Rome. There weren't multiple kinds of churches. There were lots of churches in different houses and places, but it was just the church. And this morning we're going to cover a, a passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 16. And to be honest with you, most of the time, if you're reading through the Bible, you kind of skip these verses that we're going to talk about because it's really hard to relate. I want to do the best I can to you to really bring this alive and help you to relate to the church at Rome, who they really were, and maybe who we are in relation. Can we say some of the things that Paul said about this church as individuals today? Do we hold the same sort of titles and descriptions? So to give you some background, that this was a letter written in Corinth to a church at Rome, and if you're not familiar with ancient history, that probably really doesn't mean a whole lot to you, to be quite frank. So let me give you a little bit of a scene here. This is in Israel, but it is a Roman city, uh, one of the Decapolises, or one of the cities of the Decapolis, ten cities that the Romans built uh, during kind of the New Testament era, and it was amazing. This wasn't even in Rome, it was a, a great distance away in another country, um, it's hard to relate here in America because we're not really a colonial nation anymore, but maybe think of Guam. How much money, time, and effort would you spend on Guam? It's, it's a military kind of outpost for us here. Well, this was the type of effort that Rome put into their cities all across the ancient Near East. As you can see here, this is looking down off a hill. Uh, there's a major coliseum in the background. There's a bathhouse. There's this huge thoroughfare going through the city, and then side streets. The columns there are, are probably 20 to 30 foot tall. Remember, this is back before you had you know, power tools and you could just run down to Home Depot. Um, then the next slide, uh, uh, this is a little bit closer in. You can see the city streets. And there to your right, or on the left-hand side of the um, screen, you can see a, a row of kind of looks like homes. Those are actually little shops that would sit along the street. And just like today, where you have jobs, regular jobs, the church at Rome, they would have regular jobs, maybe on streets similar to this uh, there in Rome. And to give you a, an idea on how big these columns are, that's my hand on the base of a column. And you can see how carefully that's all cut out and fluted. Some of those columns are solid pieces. And this is just the effort they put into just a, a random city in the ancient Near East. So if you think you have pressures, if you think you have desires or dreams or goals, the church at Rome wasn't sitting in this city. They were sitting in the epicenter of the entire ancient Roman world. Rome was the high point. It was the New York City of their day. If this is impressive to you, I got to tell you, it's nothing compared to what you would see in Rome. It's just hard to demonstrate that today because Rome has been built up and the ruins there aren't uh, as easily excavated. This is a little bit harder to see, but down in the left-hand corner, it looks almost like dust with some lines in the dust. That's not. Those are small mosaic tiles that they tiled. We would call them almost like subway tiles today. You would do it on the backsplash in a bathroom or in your shower. They're tiny little tiles about that big. That entire street was made out of tile, just like that, still survives 2,000 years later. We're not talking some rudimentary people that were just 
digging around in the dirt, that weren't well-educated, that were just trying to survive. You're talking about a society that invests that kind of money, time, and effort into a street in an outpost. This was a world very, very similar to ours, if not more advanced in a lot of ways, as far as the technology compared to what they achieved compared to the technology they had and the money they invested. It was amazing. And, and if you're not familiar, again, with the ancient near world and where things are at, you have Israel on the right, Jerusalem, kind of where a lot of the Bible occurs, North Africa and the Mediterranean Sea. You're going to hear in the story in just a moment the very first convert of Asia. That's not the Asia that we think about. It's the modern-day nation of Turkey is what he's referring to. In fact, a smaller province within Turkey. And then you're going to hear this city called Centria. It was only a, a few miles away from Corinth. Corinth was there in Greece, and Centria was right there on the coast. And it was from there this, this woman named Phoebe was going to take the letter that you have in your hands today. It was just the original autograph. She would take it out of the scribe that Paul had, had dictated it to, and she's going to head off to Rome there in Italy. She would have to more than likely go by ship. It was a dangerous journey. It took a lot of money, time, and effort. Corinth there is most likely where we believe that Paul wrote this letter. And so you can see that the ancient world was broad and vast. Real people, real places, with dreams, desires, kiddos, just like you have. But what was important to them? What were they doing in their life? as Paul wrote this letter. He had never been to Rome, but you're going to see that he had met many of them because many of the early Christians were traveling. They were serving in ministry together outside of the apostles, with the apostles at times. They were all about. So he's going to greet a lot of people that he knew from a variety of ways and a variety of areas. Just as if you were to travel today and maybe go visit a previous church home that you were at, you would know a lot of people. Or maybe you, you know a missionary and, and they're coming into town or, or out and about. It's just amazing how God's family, we connect with one another sometimes years later. So this is the setting and this is the scene that you're going to see um, as we really unfold what might seem to be a pretty dull greeting at the end of a letter. But just ask yourself, could we say this about you? Beginning in Romans 16, verse 1. Verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever uh, she may need from you. For she has been a patron. That word is, uh, it's a loan word, it's, it's hard uh, to, to translate. It basically means helper. She's been a helper or a patron of many and of myself as well. This, this simple woman, Phoebe, she didn't have a great title. Uh, she, it, Paul just gives this simple description. Welcome her. She's been a helper of many, including myself as well. And she was going to be dedicated to this task of going from there in Corinth, on up to Rome. Verse 3 says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all of the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also 
the church in her house. I love this couple. They appear six times, always mentioned together as a couple in the New Testament. And they had been kicked out of Rome by Claudius, the the Roman ruler at the time. He dies and eventually they go back to Rome. But they had traveled with Paul to one city and they went on to another city themselves. And they were this amazing couple who loved the Lord. They even corrected Apollos, this great evangelist, but he didn't quite have sound doctrine, so they gently pulled him aside and and corrected him. They were all about Christ. They had this great city that they'd been thrown out of, and they were back, and they could have kind of set God aside, and he's kind of a one-day, 30 minutes, an hour out of the week sort of faith. But no, they were solidly all about Christ. Notice this as well. Greet the church in their home. Wherever they were at, from what we can tell, they always opened up their home to the church. They didn't have buildings until probably about the 3rd century AD, even longer after that, before they had great big buildings. They would originally meet in the synagogues, but they were kicked out of the synagogues often uh, because of persecution. So they were meeting in homes. They were willing to open up their home to have other believers come in and meet together. Christianity isn't a Lone Ranger sort of sport. They they met. They lived life together. That's why we encourage you so deeply and so passionately to get connected to what we call Blue Mountain Act Groups, where the church is lived out in homes where you love one another, encourage one another, build one another up, even admonish one another. Because quite frankly, you cannot get to know one another sitting in a group this size. It just doesn't happen. It happens in homes. And so they had a church in their house, and he says, greet them. Greet my beloved Apinatus, who was the first convert in Asia. Asia is modern-day Turkey, as I mentioned. Apinatus, that's, that's a name to be branded with, Right? Wow. He says he was the first convert in all of Turkey or Asia, as we talked about. Now, a lot of people represented here today, I would imagine there are a lot of church backgrounds, and when you hear the word convert, that might bring up all sorts of ideas in your head. When we talk about convert in Scripture, we're talking about a very simple but important idea. And it's simply this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one sees God, not one. And so we have this loving God who created the world, but mankind sinned. And the solution to this sin and this redemption of man in his sin was Jesus Christ. God sent his only son to live here on earth. Not only to live, but also to die and pay for our sins, yours and mine and everyone in the history of the world. And when he dies on the cross, he dies as an atonement or propitiation for our sins, a payment for your sins and mine. And then he's raised from the dead. We celebrated Easter just not long ago. That's just a, a modern-day celebration of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And the Bible says whoever believes or trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and repents from their sin, they will have eternal life. It's just simply a matter of faith receiving this generous, gracious gift of God. That's what a convert is. Now, it sounds simple. You may have heard it a lot. But the truth of the matter is, in reality, 
It's a tough call sometimes. I don't know if you know this, but I have an incredible wife. Her name is Judy, and she has crazy hobbies that she sometimes drags me into. Maybe you have a spouse like that, and you're like, I don't know how I got myself into this. Well, this past week, many of you were trying to get a hold of me, and I didn't return your calls. It wasn't because I was being a jerk. It was because I was out of cell service. I was here. Um, this is Moab, Utah, and this is called canyoneering. Uh, that's about a 100-foot cliff with a land bridge or, or a a kind of an arc of stone, uh, arch of stone rather. Um, And that little dot at the very top, that's a person who's about to rappel off the cliff. And uh, this is at the top of that. And this was me. Uh, Judy wanted me to do this with her. And it's kind of embarrassing when you're there with a group of people. You don't want to be the guy that, that backs out and says no. But the little lady in the background, this skinny little girl, she's probably in her early 20s, I call her a little girl, uh, she's there and she's guiding us all and, and she gets everything set up and she says, hey, do we have any volunteers to go first? And there were crickets, just nothing, complete silence. And we're milling about because I noticed a, a few people, but most people didn't want to go over to the edge and look down. And we really didn't want to, to think about what was down there. And that's true in life today. We don't often talk about church or in church about death anymore, or even hell or Hades, lake of fire. You just don't hear that preached on very often. But it's quite true. We, we recognize that someday we're going to die. And we really don't like to think about what happens after that. But the age-old question of if you died right now, do you know where you would spend eternity? That question is still relevant today. And quite honestly, that was the question that was going through my mind as I'm, I'm getting set up here. Because I didn't want to think about that at all. As a matter of fact, I just wanted to think about what was in front of me. In the Roman church, maybe they were doing the same thing, just thinking about life in Rome. But at some point in your life, you're going to be faced with this. And the question is, do you have the answer? Do you know for sure that you would spend eternity in heaven? Because the alternate, really, that's what was so bad about this. I didn't want to go to the edge because I, didn't, I wasn't worried about dying. I was worried about suffering and getting mangled up. Because 100 feet just high enough to kill you, but maybe not. <laughs> and hell, it's like, Darkness, gnashing of teeth, burning. I mean, the the words the Bible describes, hell, it's not a fun place. And that's what I believe scares most people. They're not really scared of death. They're they're scared to think about the reality. And so I discovered a a new definition of faith. That's not really faith. That's just kind of like me practicing. This is really faith right here. If I can get it to move, uh, I might have Chris help me out. The next slide there. This is where you begin to lean back. And begin to trust. Because right now, if the rope breaks or my harness breaks, or if I just just have just a crazy moment, I'm dead. I'm going over the cliff. Next slide, please. This is me. I I don't know about you. That doesn't look like fun to me. (laughs) And I I got some texts from some relatives that saw this. Apparently, it's posted on Facebook like, was that fun? And I was like, no, it really wasn't. Because I never looked down the whole time. And then as you go forward, 
you can see, oh, that was it. I died. No. <laughs> no, I remember now. I tried to take, uh, I tried to put in a few more photos. They didn't turn out because it was kind of dark down there. But as you're dangling and you're no longer on the cliff, you realize, you know what? This isn't too bad. Actually, it's, it kind of is fun. Going over the edge isn't fun. Making that decision sometimes can be a lot of angst and you're unsure. But once you're into it, you realize, wow, this is awesome. I'm safe. I'm dangling over death, but I'm okay. And you can, it's like swinging on a swing as a kid. It is kind of fun. Well, life in Christ is not just kind of fun. It is awesome if you're completely sold out. But if you're just kind of holding on to that rope, still not sure you've made the decision and trying to do it under your own power, and you're not sold out, and maybe you're just kind of here today and dabbling in religion, showing up once in a while, that's not a lot of fun. That's actually a lot of fear. It's, it'd be more fun to be standing away from the cliff, never have really to have jumped in, or to be hanging on the rope. But that, that tipping point to be living life there, Never really wanting to be honest with yourself about who you are and what you want to be and where you'll spend eternity. Boy, that's hard. That's not fun. I pray you make the decision to be the convert. You won't be the first convert here in Baker City, but you'll be one of the few, actually, statistically speaking. Boyapinitus, wow, the very first convert in Asia. Verse 6, he says, Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampletius, my fellow, or my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. And greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. We have no idea these two families that Paul mentioned. If they were early Christian martyrs and they're no longer alive and only their family remains, or maybe they had just simply passed from the scene, we don't know. But the cool thing is this, their faith translated to their family. And it's so wonderful to see multiple generations represented here. Sometimes it starts with a child and goes to mom and dad. Sometimes it starts with mom and dad and goes to the child. But nevertheless, these families are known by the individuals who had trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord. Greet those workers, verse 12, in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa, greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also as mother, who's been a mother to me as well. Oh, we've got so many of those in this church. We have some ladies in here who have been a mother to me while my mom is 2,000 miles away. I see you do it with others. It's just such a blessing. They had those. Uh, Rufus's mom, man. Greet Asyncretus, greet Flagian, Hermes, Patrobos, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Incredible list. Individuals unknown to 
general history. I want to close with this, and I want to invite some workers in a ministry here in just a second to share with you some of the work they're doing. But this is my simple closing. If you take nothing else out of this passage of people from 2,000 years ago, I want you to look at the words that Scripture describes the individuals in the church that would become the greatest church, the center of the church for a thousand plus years. Servant, helpers, fellow workers, converts, fellow prisoners, mothers, my beloved, approved in Christ, hard workers are working hard in the Lord, chosen brothers and saints. Can you apply these words to your life? Do you fit in there? If, if you're like me and I was once sitting out there wondering, do, do what I do serving behind the scenes, does that really matter? I mean, isn't it better to be kind of on the upper echelon within Christianity? Wouldn't it be better to be known as a pastor, an associate pastor, a worship leader, a, a creative arts director, a, a board president, a pope, a bishop, uh, whatever title the church has today? Isn't that better? Isn't that more important? Isn't that the kind of what you strive to in Christianity? Well, Paul didn't think so. As Paul's greeting people that he'd never met, but he'd heard of and seen and worked with and saw in real life, these are the words that he used to describe their ministry and their persons. Is that what you strive for? I hope it is. Because I got to tell you, it's really easy to kind of move to the sidelines and no longer participate, no longer lead, no longer be passionate about Jesus. I pray that you are.